Welcome to Work, Rest and Pay. In this podcast, we look at the future of work and pay through the lenses of both employers and employees, and we explore practical scenarios and potential innovative ways forward. I'm your host, Laura Whipfler, ADP's External Communications Manager here in the UK. So the way that businesses and workers think about the office has, some would argue, changed fundamentally from its location and its layout to its very purpose. And so as businesses look to reopen offices, three stakeholders, namely HR, facilities and IT, now need to work together on this challenge, perhaps more closely than they've ever done before. So joining us today to share his insights on this topic of rethinking the office space is Tim Allen. Tim is co-author of Working Without Walls and contributing author of The Distributed Workplace. With many years experience in the areas of workplace strategies, change management and communications, Tim is also a founding council member of the Workplace Change Organisation. And Tim is Managing Director of Workplace at the Independent Workplace Consultants, Aberley. You are very welcome to the podcast today, Tim, and we are excited to have you on. Thank you, Laura. Pleasure to be here. And also joining us today, we are delighted to have our very own Annabel Jones, who is Senior HR Director at ADP. Welcome to the discussion, Annabel. Thank you very much, Laura. So... McKinsey last year, who I just wanted to quote to get us going, um, spoke about sort of a transformational approach to reinventing offices um, in that post-pandemic world, whenever we get to that, if we ever get to that, indeed. And so they spoke about, um, instead of, I suppose, going down the road of adjusting uh, footprints incrementally, that companies should take a fresh look at how much and where space is needed and how that fosters the desired outcomes of collaboration, productivity, culture, the whole lot um, that we want from an office space. So today we wanted to sort of go back to a blank canvas and almost look at the office space in a world where we are uh, rid of COVID-19, where it is safe to go back to a common space that we called the humble office back in the day. And we may continue to call the office or something else, who knows, because the space is so incredibly fluid at the moment. So turning to you first, Tim, I'd love to sort of start with where you see things have changed. Um, You know, why are we looking at spaces differently now? Um, The debates have been around for a while. You know, when I talk about sort of, or when I hear about things like hot desks and collaborative space, I sort of think, well, they've been around. That's been been there in in many organisations. But today the debate has changed and there's a wave of change. So I'd love to get your perspective on how that's changed and an overview on that. Sure, thanks, Laura. I think the uh, probably the best way of trying to answer that is is a very small, and I stress the very small potted history of uh, kind of how we've reached to this point. Um, so as we were chatting a little bit earlier on, uh, this is my 30th anniversary year in, in professional life. And when I started out in 1991, gosh, with boots all those years ago, uh, and when I joined the company, um, A, there were no personal computers, uh, and I was given a desk uh, to sit and work at. Uh, and for many of us, that's how we 
certainly only be of my age, that's how we've started our sort of professional life. And excuse me, what the what the current situation has given has given us is something that's pretty much unique in in that professional uh, world, if you like. That it's the first uh, sort of globally disruptive event that's taken place. Uh, since we've had the personal computer, and that's important, because before that time, when we've had disruptive events, we've had world wars, then people have been away from the office and then they've come back to it. And they've come back to it because traditionally it's always been the place we go to, and of course we are just talking about office and knowledge workers here, so let's be specific that it's yes. one section of working society. Yeah, of course. It's always useful just to put that frame of reference on. Lots Definitely. of people don't work in an office, but <laughs> yeah. uh, for the purposes of we this conversation, yeah. for the yeah. moment, uh, in the nicest possible way, um, yeah. you know, we're concentrating on those people who who have uh, in a, a, an office um, professional life. And it's it's driven us to one location because that's where we had everything we needed. So the colleagues we needed to chat with, the people we needed to talk to, the clients came there, everything was paper-based of course, so all the corporate knowledge, all the information, the files, the documents, everything was in the office. So we went to the office because that's where everything was held, that was the repository of everything we needed. And we've been used to that for decades, post-industrial revolution, uh, and as I say, going right up through to the, in essence, the sort of early 90s, um, because that's where everything was located. Then we had computing coming in. And that started to shift the way we started to think about the office. Uh, to some degree, and I'm now making some sweeping generalizations here, and I'm sure that there'll be some historian going that's missing out lots of uh, nuances, but for the purposes of a very short kind okay. of summary, you know, we, we changed around a lot of the, uh, the office space to respond to the big uh, boxes of personal computing coming in. So desks became bigger to take these big cathode ray tube things that sat on the desk that we all have well, we've moved on from those, of course, but that was a, a big change. But we were still coming into the office because that's where this big box of tricks was. We didn't necessarily have anything anywhere else. So still driving us to the office. And again, all information, documents, um, corporate knowledge, all held on stuff that was contained in that building. And again, all our colleagues and clients, everybody sitting in the same space. So although the technology had an impact on how we laid out the office, we were still coming into the office. We moved on then as the computers got smaller and smaller, so desks started to be able to respond a little bit to that. Uh, and we finally got to the point of having laptops. And it's intriguing that we still thought of laptops in the same way as, as desktops. I remember having conversations back with clients in the early days uh, when you know I'd finally got a laptop and I was moving around a little bit. And you know the suggestion that people might want to take their laptops away from their desk was, oh, I'm not, it's too heavy, I'm not taking that about with me. And it's like a brick. And of course, they were a bit. Um, so they weren't easy and slimline ones that we have now. Um, so people still had laptops sitting on their desk, and that's where it was. So again, we came into the office because that's where the machinery was. Um, and of course, by and large, we still hadn't got the cloud going. So all the documentation, all the files, all that corporate repository of information was still held locally. I had to go to it. So then we finally move on to where we are at now, which is where we've got lovely lightweight laptops and tablets and everything stored in the cloud. So we have the ability to be working in wherever we want. And yet we were still, you know, 18 months or so ago, 12 months ago, we were still tethered largely to coming into an office. And that's because of a few things. Uh, one, the norm was still that. So, you know, 100 years worth of coming into uh, an office, into one location, you don't easily scrub that away when you start to think about uh, what's the accepted norms of how we work. Uh, I think there was also the element around, there was still a bit around the hierarchy of what type of kit you had. You know, even going back a few years, uh, there was still a sense that um, if I have a laptop, I'm important. 
Um, and actually, if you weren't important, then you just had a big desktop clunky thing sitting on the desk in the corner because you had to be in the office, so you weren't that important. Gosh, um, now that you say that, you know. So, well, this is what I mean. You know, this yeah. is literally within the last few years. We're not talking. You know, I'm now not talking 30 years ago. This is five oh. years ago. Well, in my um, lifetime. <laughs> you know, exactly. We're talking yeah. very, very recent. Uh, you yeah. know, even up to a year or so ago, the idea that tablets. You know, if you had an iPad, wow, mm. then you really were super important. You were obviously <laughs> flying a lot <laughs> no, um, because yeah. you didn't have a a laptop yeah. anymore, you have a tablet, my gosh, mm -hmm. that was saying something. Um, so we've had these sort of totems of hierarchy and importance for a long time, but we still hadn't really fundamentally changed a few aspects, which is for those people who were starting to think about using the technology to help them be a little bit more flexible, you know, the idea of working from home was the, well, you're not really working, are you? You know, it was the, you know, the phrase of shirking from home came about at that point, wasn't it? Where it's this sense of, well, if you're not in the office, you're obviously not working. It's always going to be a Friday. So you're just starting your weekend early. And if I phone you, you might not answer. Well, if you're not answering, you must definitely be doing something else. You'll be out in the garden or, you know, whatever it is. So there was this whole culture built up of, you know, if if you're not around in the office, then uh, you're not working, even if the technology was enabling you to do that. And for a lot of senior folk in businesses, there was very much a case of, uh, which is still intriguing, you know, if I can't see you and I'm not seeing you somewhere in a building, my building, doing stuff for me, then I don't know if I entirely trust that you're doing what I've tasked you with doing. Which I've always found fascinating, by the way, even over the last you know, 10, 20 years when I've had conversations with senior folk and they will reference whenever you talk about uh, different ways of working uh, and the amount of conversations that, that you have where they say, well, you know, the, the, the drawback is if people aren't in, I don't really know if they're doing what they need to be doing. You know, to which I've all, all, always responded, well, look, why did you employ them? Putting it bluntly, if you can't even trust people to work the hours, and let's face it, that's about the least you can expect of somebody is to put in an amount of hours. So we're not talking about output here, we're literally talking input stuff. If you if you don't even think that people will provide you with an amount of hours, then something's gone wrong with your employment structure. Um, but that's a, you know, that's another debate for another time. But those are some of the conversations taking place literally right up to 12 months ago. So all of that sort of maelstrom has has come together and as we were chatting a little bit earlier on you know we had this point of well i'm not giving um i'm not giving that sort of flexibility of kit to just everybody um not everybody can be working from home because i don't trust everybody to do that um, so there's a certain select few so senior people um who by that time if i've given my 10 years to the business and i've proved that i can be trusted um then you can have the kit i might let you work from home but you can see it as something that's uh you know, you, you've earned and it's a privilege uh, to be able to have that flexibility. Uh, and even up to last year, that was pretty much the way a lot of sort of knowledge based organizations ran. And then we had all of a sudden, um, we've got to go and work from home. So government mandated, if you can, please work from home. And all of a sudden, organizations found themselves able to say, well, let's do that. Now, it hit a useful moment in time in the sense of the technology. For a lot of organizations, they have been gradually rolling out laptops to people. So that was starting to happen. Although there's a number of clients we've been working with who still hadn't quite finished that to a large group of people. So that had to be rolled out rather rapidly. And uh, if you had got laptops, then some of the elements of software, things like uh, you know Microsoft Teams, for example, um, 
other video calling systems are available. Uh, but that was being rolled out and some had just finished rolling that out as part of Office 365. So there was a sense over the last couple of years um, for some of the big corporates of, of working their way through this element of technology, the flexibility, laptop, software, video calling, and it was starting to come together. But even then, if you think back on it, 12 months ago, who was using video when we were on things like WebEx? The standard was still just audio. You didn't turn your camera on, especially if you weren't in the office. Because if I'm not in the office, I'm not necessarily wearing my office clothes. And gosh, you can't see me if I'm not wearing my office clothes. Um, and I'm certainly not going to show you the decor of the house, flat, apartment. Um, or you might see some element of my personal life around me. Well, that's not going to happen uh, because you only know me corporately. So you know, all of that was happening. So we've now had a whole sea change come through where organizations had to just drive that sense of, well, we've got to make this happen. And they have, and gosh, what a feat. Uh, IT departments, I think, deserve a, you know, a, a strong handshake if one were able to, um, uh, or you know, a pat on the back for being able to achieve something at a rate of knots. And that's all great. Now, that's the reason why we're at this point. So potted history and, and some of the elements that, that go around this, because as you rightly point out, this is where we start to see the intersection of uh, workplace and real estate and technology and culture and behaviors. Um, and all of these things come together in how we work. And up to this point, um, we've had this sort of a bit of a mess over, over how it goes. It's always been somewhat more hierarchical than it needs to be. So now a year later, a large chunk of those people who have uh, been working from home for the year have been saying, well, it's, you know, let's say, let's leave aside the awfulness outside this particular part of the conversation of the broader context of it. But by and large, for most people, it sort of worked. I don't think most people were looking for quite such a sea change when we were thinking about our, you know, one or two hour commute each day, if it's coming into a big city or whatever else, and we thought we might not want to do that every day. The sense of, as some people have said that I now live in the office, um, wasn't quite necessarily what we were after, maybe around that flexibility. But we've now had the uh, uh, 12 months of a very different experience, which is unique because we've all had an experience, not the same one, uh, of course, we've all had different very personal experiences, but we've all now had an experience, uh, which means that we all want to feed into the debate uh, as we move forward, because we now have a bit of a misalignment that we've got for the first time. Uh, trust has been enforced on people, uh, so senior folk have had to trust staff to get on with stuff at home in a way that they, they've not given before because they've not really had to. Uh, so they've been forced into that trust. So staff understandably have accepted that trust and good and gone great thanks for that um glad that you're now trusting me and my ability to be able to work from from anywhere uh to some degree and of course people have had child care and elder care duties and all sorts of stuff going on around so people have done the best that they can with a caveat that you know not not everybody has had a you know an office shed at the bottom of the garden um uh, you know some people have been working off the end of a bed on you know on ironing boards and the rest of it so that's why i say experiences have differed wildly between demographics and, and age groups and sections and locations and geography. But we've all had the ability now to, to have that autonomy of, of, uh, of how we work through the day. So then when we start to think about the roadmap in the UK, so this is much more of a UK specific aspect, but we're now looking at you know mid-June for when those restrictions are, as we speak, are, are due to go. We've now got this element where organizations are starting to think through, well, 
I've got a whole group of people who have been working from home and not surprisingly, all the engagement that we've had over the last year with people. So great that organizations have done that, by the way. So that's the first time that organizations have been really interested in, in the well-being and, and, and working style of, of staff. So I've been saying, well, I don't know if I really want to come back full time now. Um, you know, I have a personal life as well. Who knew? And actually, I'd really like to try and make a bit more of a, of a, of a balance between what I do personally and what I do corporately. Uh, and at the same time, organizations are thinking, well, what are we now doing with all the office space uh, that we've got and what do we need from that? So another big uh, topic of conversation we might get to. So this is the reason why now. It's because of all those elements coming together, the history that we've had, which has led up to this moment with technology, culture, experience, uh, all starting to come together with a sense of, so what next? Great, thank you. It's really interesting, some of the points you, you mentioned there, because you know you don't, you don't think about that um, when you've just been sitting in this, this bubble. Um, so is there anything you'd add sort of Annabelle from a HR perspective before we, we talk about that coming back to an office space and how to even tackle that? Yeah, there seen? is actually. So it's really, really interesting um, to stop and think about it and think the journey we've been on. Um, but one of the things I think is is prompting the conversation now as well is that businesses have probably been thinking about or may have toyed with the idea of changing their work um, workplace design in the past so thinking about hot desking and but it's really difficult it is it's disruptive it's emotive um, you you know so businesses uh, you know may have put that off and may have been like well you know it if you're moving offices if you're physically going to move that's your chance to do it but otherwise to just sort of say right next week we're changing the design of our office layout um, this return to Absolutely. the office yeah. gives us a clean start yeah. we can start from scratch because yeah. we're not having to we've we've been through the disruption <laughs> we've had a year of uh, of massive disruption and um and i think that you know now it, that that's the other perspective i think about is is that you know it has in the past been very difficult and it's a big sort of thing to to, to undertake so um that's my other my other view on top of what tim's already shared and i think you're right it's a it's it's hugely disruptive. You know, I, I the, the conversations I have with uh, with senior folk where they start to think about wanting to undertake workplace change to put in its sort of broader perspective. And one of the first things I'll often ask is, well, are you really prepared for the sheer effort, resource, time, energy, intensity, enthusiasm that's going to be needed to drive that through? Um, because if you're not, please don't do it. Mm -hmm. um, because the, the creation of, of the actual physical space is in the way that we've always thought about it and, and certainly our experience is that you know, that's, that's like half a project. Preparing the place for the people is half of it, but preparing the people for the place is the other half. And that's the bit that really makes it work. Uh, I know that we'll perhaps come on to talk about uh, the elements around that, but the, the sense of, of supporting, preparing, equipping people through that, that change journey, at the risk of sounding like a true consultant, um, <laughs> that's one of the most important as aspects. And it's one of the hardest, partly because in the past, you know, unless you've got a, a physical workplace change, it's inordinately difficult to talk about culture and behavioral change. If you've got nothing to hang that conversation on, if you want to talk to somebody about culture, then it becomes this very nebulous conversation. You know, what, what do you mean? What are we talking about? What, what do you mean this sort of change of, of culture? And the ability of the workplace change to connect a, a cultural behavioral change 
to a physically manifested change in the sense of the workplace responding to it is what makes it one of the most powerful tools for organizational change overall because people can start to see how you make the connections between for example, you know, if there's an organization we want to be you know, more transparent, less hierarchical, uh, more collaborative, then creating a space which takes people out of offices, which um, you know, puts people into other types of spaces where they can work more closely together, which reduces the sort of the hierarchical aspects. You know, I mentioned a bit earlier on around technology always being a bit of a, a hierarchical um, <clears throat> uh, sign space has often been the same thing you know how much space I have how many windows I've had do I have a door on it you know all those kind of things have have, have given us do the I same have an thing. office yeah <laughs> well indeed you know do people have even have a you know their own enclosed space their own office you know all of these things express the culture of an organization and when you undertake a workplace change you can make very deliberate um, organizational reasons for for changing that and that manifests that cultural change in a way that very little else can uh, and it reminds us of it all the time which is what makes it so powerful but yeah it's, it's fascinating isn't it um, all the sort of elements within that physicality of it that actually speak to the culture um, and, and tell you something without actually telling you um, it does all the time okay so turning I suppose to this to this whole idea of there will be a certain number of offices reopening. So we're not going to talk about sort of the specifics here, but there there will inevitably be. And not everyone's going to sudden, suddenly do the nationwide thing of this world and, and have everyone work um, wherever they want. When I'm misquoting that, correct me. But, um, you know, when we when we talk about sort of a physical office um, reopening, how you know how do you deal with that adjustment you mentioned sort of change management almost tim you know there's a myriad of potential sort of demands and requests and you know conveniences that we've all gotten used to you know i can go downstairs i can make the coffee the way i want it i don't have to queue for the toilet i suddenly have this massive expectation potentially of what my working environment and you know that person on the conference call god that's going to be really disruptive you know um i've got <laughs> silence here so you know even when you think of it personally there's so many things we've gotten used to so you know from from your perspective and from what you're seeing and from your expertise where, where do you even start you know where do you, yes, do you good start question. on that journey of enticing oh. let's face it enticing us back into a space because for all the reasons we just spoke about there probably is a need for some sort of a space well, um, it's a good question to ask though initially um you know why why do we have an office uh what are we using it for uh well, I was yeah. giving a bit of a, of a history. There was a reason then as to why we all came into an office. Mm -hmm. We almost might want to ask that quaint, same question again now. Yeah. Um, and I should actually just have a bit of a full disclosure going on here that uh, actually we've been working with Nationwide for a few years. Uh, so their announcement actually uh, is based on some of the support and help that we've been giving them and continue to, to do so. And we're working with them right now. What it does, though, is it highlights um, in a way how, how, how any organization might want to approach this, regardless of, of the outcome. Um, because as we as quite rightly pointed out, you know, that outcome is what works particularly well for, for nationwide and their business. Mm. Not every business will be the same. I'm currently working with a, you know, a media company where the cycle of, uh, of their business means that actually it can be, uh, certainly right now, at least who knows in 10 years time, but the cycle can be more, uh, helped by having people in the same space together at the same time, um, through a very, uh, sort of focused uh, cycle of, of production. So, it's, it's horses for courses to some degree. But I think that's the question to be asked is actually, well, what do we want out of our officers? And I think any any 
any good organization at this point should be asking itself and uh, of its staff, well, why do we want to come back to an office? Um, obviously, there's some elements that will start to creep out of that. There's going to be elements of, well, we, we like some of the sociability around it, for sure. So we like catching up with our you know, work colleagues and what have you, and that's all great. But we start to ask some more fundamental questions, which is, um, so if for the sake of argument, and, and you're just raising that, Laura, you know, the sense of how uh, you know your personal space at home works really well for you. And I think this is where we start to raise a very interesting debate over what I tend to call the difference between sort of personal productivity and corporate productivity. Because the personal productivity element, if we think of that as the tick list, the stuff that I want to get done in the day, um, then having our own personal space it's brilliant because I have total control over it. Let's assume that we don't actually have, again, childcare, elder care duties going on around. That might be a little bit different, although now the schools have gone back in the UK, then that's helping people. But if we say for the sake of argument that that personal space I get to have, I, I get to wear what I want, to be able to, to sit where I want, to have the temperature that I want, to eat when and where that I want, all those other lovely things. Isn't that amazing? It's great. I don't have to think about other people. So I can just get on with my stuff. If I've got a phone call or if I want to focus, I can do both of those things equally well because it's just me in, in my space. And that's brilliant. However, for most organizations, that's only about half of what we have people for. There's the corporate productivity bit, as I tend to refer to it, which is if you ask senior people in an organization what they mostly want out of staff, it's for staff to be interacting with each other, uh, breaking down silos between teams, uh, sharing information, sharing knowledge, understanding what each other does so that we begin to understand how our role interplays with others and therefore how we can help others in the organization do things quicker, faster, better, more efficiently, you know, better outcomes for, for clients. And all of that is plugged into really how we work together as uh, both within and between teams. So from a corporate standpoint, all of us working individually on our own is probably not working quite so well. Uh, I'm sure there'll be studies to come uh, post the uh, the pandemic around uh, the impact it's had on sort of personal versus corporate productivity in that sense. So I think we need to be asking, therefore, what do we want the office to do? Now, the, the big debate has started to revolve around if, if we are looking at the potential of, uh, and I'm now going to use the phrase hybrid working, so this is the phrase that's being banded around at the moment um, that uh, you know organizations are looking at hybrid working and you know, to some degree hybrid working was we were still using it before the pandemic because hybrid working all that simply means is we didn't spend all the time in the office and we didn't uh, a lot of organizations had if we might want to call it you know the fall off friday um so for a large chunk of people there was still a sense of working from home on a friday and therefore there was already hybrid working but it was a bit more of an informal arrangement if what we're now looking at is saying we want to and i, I use this advisedly particularly with a uh, an HR expert on the line. Um, you know, if you want to look at a slightly more formal, informal arrangement, uh, so I'm deliberately not saying a formal arrangement that has contractual implications, but there's a there's a whole other podcast involved in the contractual yeah. aspect of uh, of, of people yes, working. Yes, definitely. I mean, that's uh, you know, Annabelle, that's got to be a fun thought for you, and I say fun advisedly with a sense of therefore, you know, where people are living, the aspect of you know a London waiting commute mm -hmm. times. If I no longer here, do I get the London waiting, or if I'm then coming to the office, who's paying for the travel expenses? You know, there's a whole raft. That's just literally, you know, the top couple that's bringing. Yeah. There's a whole raft, isn't there? There is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which is all going to all going to come out over the next few months over organisations thinking about this. But initially, there's just that sense of, well, if we're saying that we want to undertake more of our personal focus time work at home, and therefore the office is where we want to, 
to use the ability of drawing people together for the interaction, collaboration, sociability part, then that might just shift the types of spaces we have in the head office, in the office building itself. Um, because we want to make sure that when people are coming together, they're doing the stuff that they need to be doing together. But also it helps to drive that sense of, well, what are we about as an organization? Because, you know, chatting with one client through the pandemic, they were saying they, they'd moved from uh, from 30 officers to three and a half thousand. A fascinating insight to that moment of, so now everybody's home is their office, which means that we've now got three and a half officers, sorry, three and a half thousand officers. Mm -hmm. um, so what does that mean in terms of us, in terms of culture and behavior and branding and organization? It does start to raise some of those big questions. So if we're looking at spending a little bit less time in the, the corporate center office, then it's almost starting to think about, uh, and I'm not quite sure, it's, it's a, it's a particularly good analogy, but it's almost this idea of, you know, when, when detergents moved into smaller bottles and became more concentrated, I'm sort of seeing that being what the head office needs to do in future. We're there for a shorter period of time. So whatever we were getting out of being in our corporate office needs to be in a concentrated version. So that sense of reinforcing culture, behaviors, norms, vision, values has to be there and instilled within a few days of us all being together because we're then going to be working in other locations. So I think we need to be asking people what do we want to come into the office for? What are we doing there? What does it look like there for? What does it mean? Where should we have that office? So start engaging with staff in co-creating that, that model of the, the, the work of the future. So potentially lots though still to sort of digest and turn into something. From sort of a HR perspective, Annabelle, you know, what, what would you see as some of, sort of the priorities in creating those spaces? You know, what's really important to get right? Mm -hmm. um, whatever guys it takes you know are there particular elements that you know you feel as from a HR perspective you know we need to get those spaces right in mm -hmm. that office yeah so um actually pulling picking up on something Tim has said I think one of the big things is that sense of identity um so the the office space um that physical space represents um the employer brand um the culture the sense of community um that opportunity for connection so i do think that um that that will become important as we start to return to the office so you know whether it, that just is it is that just it does that space represent what we want it to be like and that probably leads me on to the next point which is which is around um safety so and i don't I mean, physical safety is 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 a given, really. Obviously, yeah. we 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 yeah. won't have people back until they feel physically safe to be back. But I'm thinking also the psychological safety um, that you know we people well a lot of people and I'm uh, you know there are sort of extremes of people that won't fall in this camp, but a lot of people have felt calmer at home. Maybe there's less stress. There's um, you know, that um, sense of sort of peace and quiet. Um, we've talked about it already about that um, that different dynamic. So how can we recreate that in the office? How can we recreate spaces where people can still have that sense of calm? You know, maybe just having the different space for whatever the different activity is you're doing. So being able to have a more, you know, a space where if you, you need quiet time, you can find that quiet time. Whereas actually, if you need to be in the hustle and bustle and you want a bit of a buzz and you want a bit of noise, there's a place where you can go and get that too. So I think there's, um, I think the, the, the sort of the sense of community and the connection piece is tied into that piece as well. So I think it is, you know, I, I, 
I do know there are people who are very apprehensive about returning to the office. So how can we help reassure people um, that they will feel not just physically safe, but mentally safe as well in that environment? And then the other thing I would pick up on is, is around collaboration. Um, we've actually, I think, seen in, in a funny way, whilst we've been working remotely, an opportunity for people to collaborate more. Um, particularly where we've got people who are maybe not um, located all in one office. So businesses who have a, dis a dispersed workforce um, where maybe you traditionally would have had 75% of the people sitting in a meeting room and 25% dialed in, not even on video, on a, a phone in the middle of the desk. Mm -hmm. um, now we've we've sort of leveled the playing field. Everybody's been in the same situation and everyone's been uh, um, the same. As we go back into the office, let's not fall back into the bad habits of having meetings where people who aren't physically there feel in some way excluded. How can we ensure that we still um, have that very collaborative way of working that um, that we've developed over the last year where, um, you know, we can we can sort of have used technology uh, in the way that we've got used to using it in the past year and not just sort of forget about it or when we start to get back into the office. So those would be my takeaways. And I think you raised there about one of the most interesting points around uh, from the experience, which is it sort of democratised how we how we interact together because uh, as we're doing now on a screen, we're seeing each other. It's all very individual. Uh, but you're absolutely right, uh, and I can almost start to see it happening already. I've had a few instances of it where. Uh, working with some people who are in an office uh, and I've not been there, then you start to see some of those um, some of those norms and characteristics of the, the person who's not in the room uh, starting to creep back in again. And I think we've really got to work incredibly hard. And I think this is going to be a, a, a real case for, for leaders to lead and managers to manage and to be supported in that process uh, of almost relearning how do we how do we manage teams where some are in one location and some are in another location such that we we retain that sort of democracy of interaction that we've had over the last year that's enabled people to feel more able to um, to participate for some uh, but make sure that we don't go back to what it was beforehand which is let's be honest and we've all experienced it from both sides where if you're in the meeting room and when that sort of meeting has taken place and you've had people on audio, you've almost forgotten the people on audio until the end of the meeting when you've gone, oh, yeah, sorry, thanks for dialing in, folks. Um, you know, brackets, we'd really forgotten about you. And if you're the one at home, you know that you've been forgotten about. And frankly, you've started writing emails to other people. Hence, when yeah. people do call upon you and go, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't quite catch that, which was really, you know, AKA, I'm sorry, I was too busy typing because you'd forgotten me anyway. So yeah. I was doing something else. Um, you know, we all know that's what's been going on. So let's mm. just remember that mm -hmm. and make whatever we put into our new world of work, let's just make sure we tackle that and don't recreate it because that didn't work for anybody. So let's mm. make sure that we don't do it. But that's going to take effort, time, commitment, energy, resource, enthusiasm, all those things I was mentioning up front, which is going to be hard for organizations because as well as everything else, it's now saying we can't just come back shortly. We don't want to come back and just continue as we left off. That wasn't working for anybody um, or not working as well as it could be. We can do this better. Let's make sure we do that. Uh, and I think you're, you're right, Amanda, just that sense of getting people even the sense of coming back into working differently after a year of working from home, mm. just the idea of coming into an office can be quite unsettling for people now. Um, mm. 
if you're whether you're particularly if you're coming in on public transport um, suddenly mixing with large groups of people again on the one hand great but on the other hand oh my gosh uh, you know after all the social distancing and mask wearing that's it's quite a thing for people to take on board so certainly I think helping organizations through that sense of almost two change programs that are going on one is just to, to get people back into the sense of when the autonomy is there do I work from home or do I go into the office and what does that look like and then helping organizations think through well, what is the office going to be doing now into the future. So I suppose you both touched on um, something that you, you sort of mentioned to me a little while back, Tim, um, which resonated with me, which is that, you know, fundamentally, you were sort of saying it's a people issue, not a building issue. You know? um, so and, and you've just both sort of touched on that um, again. So, you know, is this sort of the time then for sort of HR to sort of step out out of that sort of that triangle we spoke about the sort of IT uh, facilities HR or is it a much bigger transformation piece or where where do you see the sort of the change being driven from um, from what you're seeing um, you know what's happening um, out there well, I mean, we touched upon it a little bit earlier on, didn't we? The sense that it's, uh, we tend to reference it as the, the golden triangle, the sense of the, as I say, sort of IT, property, uh, HR coming together to, to create uh, workplace change. It has to be those infrastructures that enable us to do what we do. That's what enables the change. Um, I think the, the, the history has been that most workplace changes, and Annabelle alluded to this earlier on very rightly in saying that for the most part, organizations, and unless there's a lease event coming up, a lease break, or we're selling a building, or there's some other portfolio change going on, uh, you know, that's what's driven the change. And therefore, real estate has always had the budget to do it because it's a building related project. Um, whether you're refurbishing or moving or downsizing or uh, or enlarging, whatever it is, it tends to be a building project. And therefore, corporate real estate has tended to lead it traditionally. Uh, and so it's been seen as a real estate program, which I've always found fascinating because I think if there's anything that we've learned over the last 12 months with nobody being in an office, what's been the point of the office? It's only to house people to do stuff. So really, it's always been a people program, but it's only over the last year that I think it's probably been more generally accepted that that view of, oh, hang on a sec. So we didn't actually need the offices for the sake of having a building in an office, did we? It was actually only to house our people to do the things that they, we wanted them to do when they were in the office. So now that we recognize it's a people thing, it's brilliant uh, to see uh, senior folk in an organization reaching out to HR saying, how can we now engage with HR around this whole people aspect of how we, we, we develop the way of working into the future? So my hope is that we'll see a lot more of that simply because there's now a bit more of an acceptance over it. the real estate was only ever the enabler. That's all it is. It's, it's, I'm being a bit disingenuous to my um, construction colleagues in this, but it's, it's an enabler can look amazing and needs to look wonderful. So all of that, absolutely. So we want great design, we want great architecture, but it's what we do inside it that really counts, surely. Um, and Annabelle, you're, you're nodding away. I'm not surprised at that point. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's, um, it, it's more interesting than ever now, just that dynamic of um, people in a space rather than the space being the, the sort of the primary thing it's the sort of the, it is it's the people and how they're interacting how they're feeling how they're sort of performing and the productivity and the, so how do we get people how can we get the best out of people by providing the right environment for them to work in 
Yeah, yeah. and that environment is both both physical and mental. So it's that case yeah. of not only creating a great physical space for them, but how do we create the best cultural uh, environment for people to do their best work? That's that's mm. what it should all be about. Mm. And from your, I suppose, your work with with clients, is there anything you're sort of seeing in terms of sort of the trends or the thinking, especially from that HR perspective that's that's coming out? Is there anything you could sort of share with us? Gosh, well, it's or a bit early days, of course, um, yeah. because we're just saying, I think for, yeah. where, most, where some clients are at is at least starting to ask the question over, so what should the future look like? Uh, and of course, we are into crystal ball territory here. So there's, we don't know what the future is going to look like. Um, how can you know what the future is going to look like? All we can do is surmise and hypothesize uh, and I think what we are seeing is, okay, there needs to be some, some thought. So let's give it a little bit of focus, thought and attention. Uh, let's understand that it's not just about the physical space, but it's how we get the most out of people wherever they are. Uh, and how do we make sure that, that we're, we're providing a, a great infrastructure um, physically and mentally for, for individuals? Uh, and what does that mean? And then let's, let's co-create with our people. Because if we really engage with staff to understand what what are they thinking? What's been their experience? What have we learned from that? So how can we how can we inform the corporate decisions based on that? It's going to be so much more successful if we if we co-create that between um, you know, the organisation and its staff. That's being a bit um, sort of black and white over it, but making sure that we connect that up is going to make the world of difference. So then we will start to see what comes of it. So at the moment, I think it's a little early for trends, but let's hope that we can use it just to reset slightly the conversation and the way that we might reach that utopian ideal. Um, it's a long road, I suppose, yet. Um, yes, I think on. it is. I think we've got a short term. Yeah, we've got the short term of just sort of getting that first group of people back in who um, into workplaces who really need to and want to be back in. Um, and then I think that gives us time to sort of see how how the how it plays out um and and to work with facilities with it with leadership um and i think the you know hr have got the important role to play at looking at the the balance um you know so what do employees want but what's right for the business and you know let's mm -hmm. let hr yeah. can sort of take that view of um you know let's not make it financially driven let's not make it employee driven let's not make it sort of client driven yeah it, it's got to be about the balance of, of trying to sort of fit um have something you, we're not going to be able to please everyone um you know we didn't before no exactly so it's not like we were before and we won't again um but it is you know i think there's an important lots of important discussions and um and then i think the bit that really underpins it all is and again where HR plays a key role is change management um, so whatever wherever we land it's about the chain about landing that change successfully and applying all those good principles of, um, of change management that will make it a success. Yeah I think it, I quite agree I think using particularly if using this year as the ability to um, uh, sort of test and learn over what's what's going to work for us as a business, what's going to work for for staff. Let's make sure that we keep the dialogue open. Let's manage that change, as you say, Annabelle. That's hugely important. Um, then that's going to give us the the best possible uh, position to to then think about from 
sort of next year onwards what does that longer term program look like so we can if you like we can set ourselves up for success i guess is what i'm saying if we use this year just to understand well what does that start to mean both organizationally and and culturally what is it that we're, we're after and then we can start to look at what that might mean for us into next year so i'm hearing from you both sort of continuing on that consultative um path that we've sort of been on really throughout the the pandemic, so a lot more conversations and consultation with employees, um, and then you know HR, I suppose, potentially continuing that pivotal role, as you so rightly pointed out, Annabelle, that you know you have the the perspectives, the views, you know, you're sort of that 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 department that can bring it all together almost um, uh, from from all the different perspectives and continue to play that really important role that you have been playing throughout so that the pandemic. It's going to be another busy year. <laughs> <laughs> Just when you thought you were finished with uh, vaccines coming in, there's a mm. whole other. No, whole no other this, this is going to be harder. This, you yeah. know, this is going to be harder in some ways um, than than moving to the remote Absolutely. working. Um, so, but we're up for the challenge. Well, as we were saying, exciting, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Mm. As we were saying earlier on, that whole point of this <clears throat> when when the uh, when the working from home started, it's about command and control, just mandating it, and that's that's that was simple in that sense of just making the decision and making it happen. Uh, now, as Sam said, it's a much harder process of managing the change and co-creating with staff ever. So, what does the future look like? Um, but I'm a huge believer in that sense of the more that we can engage with people in that journey of change, the more successful we set ourselves up to be. Fantastic. So. On those final words, that's really all we've got time for today. I think we could continue for quite another while. So many different aspects to this one and, and quite a long journey. I think we're, we're all on, but an exciting one. So thank you so much, Tim, for your insight. It's been great to have you on. Very welcome. Thanks very much. And also, Annabelle, lovely to get your thoughts um, from the HR perspective um, on this conversation. We'll be back next month. So until then, take care and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.